Alright guys, in today's video, I'm joined by a man who should need no introduction. It's Mr. James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. James, thanks so much for being on with me today. Thanks for having me on. Well, James has been uh, a leading voice in discussing the topic of COVID-19, this crisis, what you've described as increasingly the the global population grid, which the likes of Bill Bill Gates wants to build, and also uh, how this factors into the larger picture, which is Agenda 21. Um, what we're hearing consistently now, uh, more and more, James, as you can see the narrative building, is this great reset. Uh, now, talk. This is, this is multifaceted what this is actually going to do economically, socially, politically. In, in, this, in the simplest way you can, what do they mean by this great reset? Why is this so, such a pivotal thing now to their, to their globalist plans? Well, I think specifically what uh, most people are referring to when they're talking about the uh, the Great Reset at this moment is the World Economic Forum and uh, Klaus Schwab coming out and specifically talking about this and specifically saying that this transformative moment uh, gives us the chance essentially to push the reset button on the economy generally and to shift over our entire way of being. Because, of course, we have been trained to think of the economy as just the stock market or something like that, as opposed to the fundamental way that our entire society uh, transacts and interacts with each other, the the fabric of our civilization, essentially. And they're trying to reweave that fabric of our civilization right under our very noses. And they're doing so under the cover of this great crisis, disruption, whatever you want to call it, that's happening right now. And so you might stop to think and 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 wonder when you hear Klaus Schwab and others talking about how we're going to have to suddenly start fundamentally restructuring our our economy and we're going to have to basically implement the green new deal and and all of these things on the basis of what some sort of pandemic or something that's going on does this make any sense of course it doesn't make any sense but i'm not necess- i'm not sure it's necessarily supposed to make sense at this point one of the things that we've seen over the past few months is often completely contradictory information and you're often supposed to believe it all simultaneously. Wear masks and don't wear masks and uh, and pr- protest, but don't protest and go outside, but don't go outside. All of these things that we've heard over the past few months is essentially, I think, wearing people down. We are being asked to accept doublethink. So the Great Reset means essentially whatever the uh, people who are controlling and want to puppeteer the society want it to mean at any given moment. And at this particular moment, they're going to use it to implement a number of economic agendas. But I think it's more broadly speaking, um, the way that uh, you framed it earlier, the population control grid. And I mean that in the broadest sense, not just population control in the way that we've been taught to think of that term as in keeping a lid on the number of humans being born or something along those lines, but literally to control the population. That is what the ultimate end goal of this agenda is about. So if you want to see the vision of a 2030 agenda or whatever it may be, think of uh, the human population being corralled into smaller and smaller urban areas, given less uh, land, less room to spread out, uh, being tightly controlled in terms of who they interact with, where, when, what kind of job they perform, and uh, and even the food that they eat, everything being tightly controlled. That is the ultimate agenda that we are being pushed towards. And we are just being led one step at a time at the moment. But the Great Reset is the chance for us to go down that chute and really start heading into that at an accelerated pace. Yes, it's very – I've said this as well. If this was literally just a virus – 
uh, well, they didn't have to fundamentally change every aspect of society after the Spanish flu, which genuinely was a major global killer. But for some reason now, we have to just throw out the rule book and our expectations on everything. And I feel there's a little bit of that when they say the Great Reset. There's also another aspect of this. There's uh, the philosophical underpinnings of resetting humanity's expectation of what it is to be human, what it is to be free, what it is to be a citizen. They're talking about global citizenship. I recently had this article from uh, Breitbart here, UN Chief Gutierrez, this is Antonio Gutierrez, who I've mentioned before, and I think you have as well, calls for one supreme body of global governance. Very interesting, in order to tackle this virus. They've done this with the climate change agenda, they're doing this now. Uh, I had uh, Rosa Corey on the show the other day, and she was talking about how you know climate change just wasn't getting it done fast enough. And it's this idea, which is a global crisis requires global governance. And so, to me, when I see this, I, I look, how can people not see they're overreaching? They're, they're, they're trying to accelerate things further. I mean, do you see any opportunities here um, in, in the sense, do you feel a desperation in their plans that they've had to just, 2020 is the year that they just threw absolutely everything at us, the kitchen sink, it seems. Do you think that this might, that there might be some aspects where they're pushing too far? There does seem to be an element of, if not desperation, at least uh, unpreparedness in all of this. It's It certainly seems that someone has pulled the trigger a little too early or something like that, because one would not imagine this would be the way that they would necessarily roll out a crisis like this on the back of, especially on a the back of a, a, a scamdemic, essentially. Why, why do that? I mean, if you were going to plan this out and if you wanted to inculcate the population into accepting a fear paradigm, wouldn't you release a real bioweapon that would really be a Spanish flu or if something, you know, perhaps even, even deadlier? Um, so I, I don't know. I, there is something strange about the way that this has transpired. Um, but it is no surprise, it is absolutely zero surprise to me that they are trying to push the global governance agenda on the back of this because uh, it was a point that I made early on in my co coverage of this uh, crisis uh, is that it, it, some people were saying this is the end of globalism. You see, this has proven that uh, yeah. porous borders and everything is all coming to an end. No, 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 no. This is going to be the fulfillment of the globalist agenda. Well, on, on that point, on actually, this front. is what I've said. I've said this, it's the end of globalism as we know it and the beginning of globalism as we don't know it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in fact, yeah, and, and here's another point that I made recently. Yeah, people want the borders. Don't worry, borders are coming. It's just not the borders you're thinking. It's not the national borders. No, it's going to be borders around each community. And, oh, someone in your community got sick today. We're locking you down. And if I had even proposed that as a, as a possibility a few months ago, I would have been laughed at. And right, rightly so, because it is a stupid idea. But that's exactly what we are being prepared for right now. And, of course, people are not going to go over along with that on the first wave or the second wave or maybe even the third wave but by the fourth wave or the pandemic two as bill gates has already called for uh by the time they start really wearing down the population with this pavlovian conditioning i think a lot of people will be ready for it and i wouldn't have wanted to believe that before this all began but as you say the amount of people and that are going along with this agenda as crazy as it has been so far is worrying uh, that so much of the population went along with this so quickly. Well, you mentioned Gates, and you mentioned the fact that he's meant, he's talked about plandem uh, plandemic too. And I look at it, there was a recent video, and it's on uh, Path Forward. I'll include the, the link below. And this is a um, special edition of Path Forward with Bill and Melinda Gates, YouTube channel, U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation. 
And he says, you know, in fact, the testing could have been ramped up uh, very quickly in a few countries that have almost avoided the epidemic entirely, like uh, Taiwan, New Zealand, Australia, you know, they took their experience and actually prepared. And so they moved a lot faster. Uh, so we, you know, we'll have to prepare for the next one. That, you know, I'd say is, uh, will get attention this time. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have to prepare for the next one. That, you know, I'd say is, uh, will get attention this time. Mm-hmm. So, it's this guy is able to predict pandemics that should really be coming along every century or two centuries. This guy's been working on vaccines for so long. And wouldn't you know it, not only has he been involved with, with organizations like Gavi, World Health, and others that have been predicting these, that have been telling us that they want to reach, like the world, in the case of the World Health Organization, to reach everyone everywhere with life-saving vaccines. That was 2017, 2018. There was that document in which they talked about they, we will, they'll never be going back to a time where vaccine, vaccines will not be a requirement. This guy is able to just predict when the next one comes along. Um, and I just feel as though people are thinking, well, it's Bill Gates, you know, super brain, you know, super nerd. Of course, he's able to do these things. Right. And I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm not sure you're getting this. You, you can't predict this already, you know, with the narrative of the next flu. You know, BBC has said flu virus with pandemic potential found in China. Another one this time coming from pigs. Um it's, it, it's as though Paul Watson has said this very well, and I've mentioned him numerous times. Has the human immune system just stopped working in 2020 and now is not able for viruses that kill at the level of an influenza? And suddenly we need to be constantly augmented and boosted and improved with vaccinations. Um, I mean, like, like me, James, you must be very taken aback at the populace, the fact that people in general are unable to think in any way rationally and just take a second and go, hold on a second, something about this doesn't add up. 150,000 years human beings have been on planet Earth, give or take, and suddenly now, in the last few months, everything we know about germs, everything we know about disease, everything we know about human biology, about mutations, evolution, that's just thrown out the window. And now we're just simply uh, computer systems, effectively needing a, f- a firmware update from a company every so often in order to stay protected against these external threats, which are now coming thick and fast in a way they never previously did. Right. Yeah. Sounds like a business model. Someone should you. Oh, wait, someone already has made billions and billions from that business model. And now they're applying it to the field of global health. What a coincidence. Yes. Uh, yeah. Either the human species has somehow transmogrified in 2020, as you say, or viruses aren't what they used to be it's almost like they're not natural at this point it's almost like they've been created in a lab or something along those lines anyway you're right how can this brainiac oh he's just so smart he can predict anything how is he predicting all of these pandemics and being perfectly situated with the right technologies invested in the right companies to provide the right vaccines that will save us all as he himself says at every opportunity on every program that he's invited to and oh by the way he tends to sponsor most of the programs he's invited to uh it's just one big incestuous web and i think i mean there's there's a lot of ways we can look at this look i don't have the signed sealed delivered document from bill gates you know it's time to unleash the bioweapon or something like that of course not but one can look at event 201 and think that is 
a remarkable coincidence. And I think we should laugh at the coincidence theorists rather than the conspiracy theorists. The coincidence theorists who look at something like Event 201 and go, who so? I mean, it was just a, a they're just wargaming out a globally spreading novel coronavirus at the exact same time that a globally spreading novel coronavirus pandemic was breaking out. And we went, what's the what's the big deal? You're, you're crazy if you think there's any connection. Well, regardless of whether there was a connection or not, clearly the infrastructure was already carefully laid for exactly what we have seen playing out over the past few months and what we are going to see playing out over the next several months as we get ramped up for the vaccine, which, of course, as we're being told over and over, is the end goal of this. Mm -hmm. So regardless, again, whether they're just attaching themselves onto whatever kind of, oh, here's some sort of novel virus, whatever, good enough, let's use that, or whether it has been created on purpose, I don't know, I can't adjudicate that, but I can say they were clearly ready for some event like this to happen, as evidenced by something like Event 201. Yes, and actually, it seems that you know multiple relate, as you called it, in very incestuous. All well, these are different organizations. The uh, the EU Commission had a document I mentioned in a previous video last week, which was it, it, it laid out a roadmap from 2018 to 2022. And I mean, about this passports, is, and yeah, vaccines. yeah, yeah, it, digital immunity yeah. pass uh, passports. Yeah. Kind of like the COVID type pass situation, which we're seeing rolling out now in 15 countries. Uh, so there was that, and I mean, talk about a smoking gun. This is this is another one of these coincidences. This this feels very similar to the World Health Organization organization document of 2018. And so it it lays out that over the course of the next five years, or rather from 2018 to 2022, we're right in the middle of this. We're right in the in the part where it's the feasibility study phase. And can they, and they keep using this term, can they deal with vaccine hesitancy? Now, I'm not against vaccines per se. Obviously, we're against vaccines that have, number, number one, are they necessary? Number two, can they work? Number three, are they safe? And number four, is there another motivating factor? And we've, we've talked about that behind the reason why they're pushing this so hard on the populace. And there are a myriad of reasons as to why, either way, that's not going into my body one way or the other. Now... When we, when I say that the introduction of a mandatory vaccine, I, I'm not saying, look, this could happen down the line if we're truly headed for global communism. Yes, they will come for people in the night, but in the beginning, uh, they have to, they have to use carrot and stick policies to achieve it. And so, it's not a case that somebody is going to knock on your door and hold you down and jab a needle in your arm. What it will be. Um, is that you simply won't be able to do anything. This factors into that population control uh, population control grid. You know, you won't be able to go publicly to different places. You won't be able to get into the store. Um, the technology now with the surveillance apps on people's phones and different things like that, that's all coming along on stream in the background. And so I think that partially they're, they're letting the fear fester with people globally at the moment of this virus is still that honeymoon phase that people have with the media and the government. But as time goes on, they're going to need, in order for us to adapt all these technologies and to give up our privacy and to to, look the other way when it comes to questions about tracking and tracing, they're going to have to amp the fear up again. And that's my biggest concern in this, James, that by the end of this year, uh, we will see, I think they have to do another lockdown this year. I could be wrong, but I think they will. And it will be in the winter if, if it's to happen the Northern Hemisphere winter, which of course will be tough because when you get right down to it, people are not going to want to stand outside in a socially distanced queue, 
at the grocery store in the cold, in the dark, in the wind and the rain and the snow. They're not going to do that. And so what do they do? They'll stay indoors and they'll buy their groceries there and have them delivered. And this all comes back to that fourth industrial revolution of everything uh, that once was, it can be digitized, can be put online. And that, again, that factors more into the digital economy, the, the, uh, the cashless society, all these things, right? The great reset, as it were. Yes. I mean, it, 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 it impinges on absolutely every aspect of our existence. And this is why we're being told constantly it's the new normal, etc. And I share your, uh, your opinion that this is not going to the, the first wave of what we have seen so far is really nothing yet. And I think as crazy as 2020 has been, I think it's going to get even crazier in the fall. I'm not looking forward to it because you're exactly right. I don't think the populace, it, generally speaking, is quite ready to go over that hurdle yet. But boy, will they be made to desire that after uh, the carnage we're going to see in the next few months. One can hope it will be the type of statistical chicanery that we saw in the first wave and they'll just be trying to trick people. Hey, look, record hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. But wait, weren't you talking about deaths before? What happened to that death number? Don't look at the death number. Look at the hospitalization, the case rate. Wow, we found all these new cases by testing. Well, yeah, I mean, so you're... unfortunately, a lot of people will believe that. But will they yeah. be will they be f fearful enough to accept the full transformation into the, the the new normal? Probably not. So, again, I do share your concerns. And this is where I think, you know, I, there will be further waves of this. And I, I put myself in the position of being some sort of social controller who wanted to implement these types of changes. Hey. If you really want to instill the fear in the population at some point, the calculation may be made that a bioweapon release may actually be, well, it'll get the people to, to fear this this new paradigm that we're creating. So it's a possibility anyway. I don't look forward to whatever is in store for the coming months. But I think you're right. They're going to have to really scare the population again and at the very least train us to go back into lockdown and then you might get a release and go back into lockdown and you might get a release. And that's exactly what they've been talking about since the beginning. There was that famous MIT uh, yeah. technology review article on the new normal where they, they came out and said it. They even had the little diagram they showed. There will be a few months of lockdown and a couple of months of release and a few months of lockdown and a couple months of release. And they showed exactly how this is going to play out until the vaccine arrives. And exactly as you say, I think in most countries, it's going to uh, take the form of, completely voluntary. It's just that you won't be able to access public space or do anything in the pub public arena if you don't have the vaccine or proof of the vaccine. And the ultimate model that we are heading towards is the Chicom model. Um, it's, it's fascinating to watch the propaganda surrounding this because on one level, of course, this is the geopolitical enemy that we should be scared of. But on the other level, there's always the kind of, wow, they're so good. I wish we could do this. They have so much power over their citizenry. It's always this bizarre double-edged double, double sword in the uh, propaganda that comes out about China. But just watch, just look at what has what they have managed to institute just in a few months in terms of the uh, the QR codes that you have to get. You have to have your green code in order to access this building or to leave your community. If you get the red code, you don't even know why you got the red code. Maybe, I guess, I come into contact with somebody at some point. I don't know. It just, it's red now, so I can't leave my home. And that is, I think, the ultimate model for where we're heading. It's just going to take a while for us to get there. Yeah, and actually, I, I'm very concerned about the narrative that I'm even seeing on People who would I would otherwise think are quite skeptically minded, you know, about all these things, about being very cautious about the mainstream media. 
that they're focusing on China as the enemy. Now, you've talked about this as well, uh, that there's effectively a new bullshit Cold War that we're going to be going through. And there's that expression, um, if you want to know who rules over you, you just find the people that you're not allowed to talk about or criticize or whatever. And, And inversely to that... If you want to know the people who probably aren't the issue, it's look at the people who you're allowed to criticize. And in this case, where the media will even do it. You know, the meme of uh, uh, China, uh, China lied, people died kind of thing. This over-focusing on China. I don't know who came up with the expression, which was um, uh, communism will come to the United States under the guise of fighting communism. But the truth is China has been a playground for oligarchs and technocrats for a long time. And that model of China is simply now being brought to the rest of the world. But China, I don't actually believe, is the, is the central, uh, you know, I don't think they're the big bad of this. I think we're dealing with, with globalists like Gates, like the UN, uh, like the Rockefellers and other, one, uh, and other people like that, like the World Bank, the IMF. These are the power players as well as numerous corporations. You mentioned MIT, who have been funded in the past by the Gates Foundation. They were well ahead of the curve. Um, I, I didn't, hadn't even twigged this, and I saw it. And I thought, oh, now I get it. They were the first to come along and say social distancing is, is here to stay kind of thing. And I thought, how could they possibly know this? Well, they're funded by you-know-who. Now, on, in the interests of how that article has now shaped the guidance on the reopening up and how businesses now operate. I go for a walk. I walk by a pub that's reopening and it says, we're now accepting bookings or something like that. You know, they, they can't wait to reopen because people are going to, people are going to call up or use an app of some kind. It'll probably be an app, let's be honest, because that's when they, they want to know when you've booked to go to the pub, how your social life is, who's in your social circle and so forth. So, You'll book the pub, never going to do that. You can't just walk in anymore. That's okay in the, in the sense of a city for a while, okay, until the next lockdown. None of these businesses realize they're going under. Uh, but a, a rural country pub here in Ireland, you can't just simply drive across the country and go, oh, that looks like, like, like a nice place. I'll go in there. Nope, can't do that anymore. You've got to book in advance. So, this, the, so the small communities are gone. This, again, I feel factors into Agenda 21. This is perfect for that because it's all about making the cities more workable than the rural communities and the smaller towns and cities. So move people into high density. And this is, again, when I was talking to Rosa, uh, we, I talked about, how, look, you know, this is gonna, if, we, if we make these businesses unworkable, these businesses are opening up thinking they're going to be able to turn a profit with social distancing rules. Well, they can't. How could they possibly? Um, and they're going to realize that. So this is, an, this is an illusion with people, you know, this idea that, oh, it's opening up. Things are getting back together. Okay. You know, you know yeah, you've got to stand on the circles and you can't go up to the bar and there's a queue and a traffic light system for the toilet. All these ridiculous rules. You've got to get out in 90 minutes because the virus isn't a problem for 90 minutes. It's a problem after 91 minutes. All these ridiculous rules, they'll go under. And what will happen is the property those businesses were, were, were residing in will just drop like a stone in terms of price, right? No one's going to be able to rent them or justify having a business there. Nobody's going to be able to buy them. But who will? Well, there's going to be a lot of hedge funds that are going to come in and see this as a prime real estate for high-density apartments. And this is the key thing of, of uh, 2030, that infamous article that you, you probably remember, 2016, I, I, uh, I own nothing, I have no privacy, and life has never been better. Everybody lives in the cities. And that's where you can be surveilled. That's where you can be controlled, right? Yeah, no, exactly right. Uh, in fact, I have a, a podcast episode on what is sustainable development where I went through that vision of what the future looks like. And there's a, there's a, there's a presentation that I play. 
I've played several times over the course of my podcast over the last several years because it's just so creepy. I can't remember the specific title of the video, but I'm pretty sure it's in that What is Sustainable Development uh, podcast that I worked on that um, it shows the the city of the future where, of course, everyone's living in the city and they're told uh, what jobs essentially they're going to do. And they're allowed to buy meat on certain days. And, uh, you know, they have to call to schedule the ride and the ride share service to get to their work and things like this. And and just the, the amount of control over everyone's everyday lives. But this was in some sort of, you know, future vision uh, conference. This was a, one of the presentations of like, this is what the future could be like. You know, you, we used to get these Jetson futures of everyone in flying cars and everything's so cool and awesome. But now it's like, hey, maybe you'll be allowed to eat meat, meat once a week if you're lucky, you know, kind of Which thing. will be loud, um, which is presumably. Exactly right. Yeah. No, I was just about to say, of course, that's one of the uh, other investments, one of the many investments of Gates. But actually, your story about the, uh, the pub um, kind of breaks my heart because. As you may not know, I, I went to Trinity College Dublin, oh, okay. and I I remember one day walking uh, walking back to my flat from Trinity, um, and I met my um, one of my flatmates who was uh, she was working in the central bank doing a exchange thing, whatever. We met uh, just randomly on the street at the end of our street, going back to the flat, and just like, hey, let's just let's just pop into the pub, and it was a glorious. Beautiful afternoon on a spring day in Dublin, you know, one of the one of those days after the horrible rainy winter where finally you see the sun again for the first time in months. And it's just beautiful golden afternoon. And we go into the pub and have a great time. And that sort of spontaneous interaction is precisely what is at stake here, that that sort of ability to, to just, hey, let's just do this Two people on meet on the street and just go somewhere that they're trying to eliminate that type of human interaction and that that's hard for, to even get my head around to even wrap my my imagination around the idea that that could be in any way taken out of human culture i mean it's almost as if they are trying to re-engineer humanity itself yeah. and i would say that that sounds ridiculous how can you do that but when we start talking about tinkering with people on the genomic level and giving them experimental DNA vaccines and mRNA vaccines that will literally start changing you at the genomic level. Hmm. It's it's almost like we are being engineered into a different species or something. Um, yes, and if you look at the masks, profoundly disturbing. Yeah, I mean, the masks do that in in a more immediate way, which is when you walk down the street and everyone's wearing masks. You're anonymous behind your mask. Obviously, I mean, I've talked previously about the the. The health implications of the masks, breathing back in CO2, microorganisms, all those kind of things. But that's one thing. But when you look at people, you don't see smiles. You don't see faces. You don't see you know, the full gamut of emotions, body language. You're not connecting with people, and it lowers empathy levels. It, it's, it creates more distrust, more insulation. Just on the, on the, on the pub front, a friend of mine sent a photograph he took of a, a notice that was on a table in, in a pub that's reopening under these ridiculous rules that will no doubt see it go under. Uh, and it says outside tables can only be used by people who are COVID-19 traced. So it's beginning. And, and as I said before, the masks are a soft test for the vaccines, because if you have uh, if you have agreed to this idea that you do not have bodily autonomy anymore. Then what by the same logic and, and of course the group rights thing, you know, you're, you're, you're making everybody else sick, you know, you're putting the, 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 the uh, populace at risk by not wearing a mask. 
if we are going to completely surrender individual human rights and claim that that's just ignorant, oh my God, your freedom, you know, you want the freedom to, to harm people. And then we're saying, right, okay, well, by what logic can you resist a vaccine? Uh, and I think that people are being slowly primed for this. And it's it's the reason why they made the, the masks mandatory in places that didn't seem unreasonable to most people in the beginning, which is like public transport, you know, where there's going to be a, a large amount of people huddled together. And then it becomes, well, you know, maybe we, we do this for the grocery store as well. And, and then it becomes the place of worship. And then it becomes just to leave your house. And there's already talk of that yeah. as well. So in a, in a, in a weird way, um, it's it's become it's become a face burka, but it's become a symbol of subjugation, in in my view. What do you think about that? Well, I think it is a compliance test, and and keep in mind that I I say this from my perspective here in Japan, where everyone wears masks all the time, so it's not it, it's not a profound cultural shift or something. But I understand, you know, in Ireland, in Canada, in the states, whatever. There's there's a profound cultural shift that's going on right now. So it is a compliance test of sorts. Um, are you willing to take that step? And exactly as you say, I think this is because the new paradigm is the biosecurity paradigm in which any person is a potential asymptomatic carrier. And if you are an asymptomatic carrier, hey, you don't even know it. You could be out there killing grandmas left, right and center. So your body is not your own. Uh, your body, their choice. They get to choose what that means, what risk you are allowed to put the, the rest of the population at and what you are not and what uh, steps you have to comply with, essentially, what hoops you have to jump through in order to participate in the public sphere. And yeah, for now, it's wearing a mask. At some point, it will be taking a vaccine. And you've said this as well. I, I, I don't know whether you were quoting somebody, but it, it was um, that we're moving into an age, you know, with all this telepresence, telemedicine, telecommuting. And the telemedicine thing is very concerning because a doctor needs to be able to physically examine someone. But this is where we're starting to go now. Uh, the lack of care and the marginalization of people who are vulnerable, elderly, people who are genuinely sick, increasingly, and you've described it as it's your right to, it's, it's like your health uh, safety, you know, your digital health safety, you know, all, and the biometrics thing, that that is seen as the, the highest level uh, for society in terms of their concerns about health. Not necessarily your right to get into a hospital and actually get care and treatment, right? Right. Yeah, no, no, no. This is a very, very important point. We are being transitioned from a paradigm of health to a paradigm of biosecurity. And uh, I keep going back to this uh, incredibly concise but very well-written article by uh, Giorgio Agamben, Biosecurity and Politics, where he lays out this new paradigm that we're being steeped into. And he says, the total organization of the body of citizens in a way that strengthens maximum adherence to institutions of government, producing a sort of superlative good citizenship in which imposed obligations are presented as evidence of altruism, like wearing a mask, and the citizen no longer has a right to health but becomes juridically obliged to health, as in biosecurity. So, yeah, no, now health isn't something that you that you can partake in. It's not something that you, you are entitled to. It's not something you could go and, and, and seek help with. No, now you are obligated to be healthy. And how do you do that? Well, whatever the doctors say, you have to do. And if you don't, that's because you are not participating in the biosecurity paradigm. You are a biosecurity threat. What they have done is they've taken the terror paradigm that was inst instituted over the past two decades, the terrorists, the war on the terrorists, and they have switched that into the war on the invisible enemy. And the invisible enemy 
could be in you, it could be in you, it could be in me, it could be in anyone at any time. So now everyone is a potential terrorist. I mean, asymptomatic carrier. And that's what it is. They're flipping the switch. And now everyone is the terrorist. And all of the erection of the police state that has been uh, carefully erected over the past couple of decades is now being wielded against the the general populace. And that's what's so interesting. And I I love how eloquently you've described that, James. But I, I look at the recent riots that have taken place in the United States, and they've attempted to artificially make them spill over with with uh, BLM solidarity protests in the UK even in Ireland which is absolutely incredible and i look at that and i you, you've said it before which is taking the perhaps they predicted that there would be much more resistance to the lockdowns and so they said well well just in case we will amp up racial divisions in a kind of a revolutionary spirit tearing down monuments banning uh, TV shows and movies because of racism or something, and take that revolutionary energy and misdirect it into something that's actually unproductive, right? Right. Uh, yeah, you said earlier that uh, sort of the flip side of who you can't criticize is probably who's in charge, while who you can criticize must not be in charge. Well, in the same sense, you know, when you have Nike and whatever, every corporate sponsorship possible, all supporting your violent revolutionary protest movement, chances are it's probably not really a revolutionary protest movement, right? So clearly there's something else going on. And uh, as I said before, I think honestly, I really do think that there is a type of um, compliance test going on, generally speaking, with the, with the population. And part of that is the cognitive bias, uh, sorry, the cognitive dissonance that they are trying to inculcate by giving contradictory information and advice that so that literally uh, a month ago, it was killing grandma to participate in protests, you know, uh, outside the state uh, courthouse or whatever. Oh, you can't possibly do that. And then Literally, in the space of a week, it flipped over to you must be out in these protests or you're a horrible person. And and the same this literally the same doctors were giving this uh, the absolute contradictory advice on one week saying this was going to cause a second wave. And then this is going this is it's worse not to participate in these protests because they're so important to our civilization. I mean, it, it really is such an incredible double think that they're trying to put the population through that. I think that has to play a part in this. Plus, it seems like, yeah, so there's a sort of a switch that they can flip. Um, dangerous to be in crowds, not dangerous to be in crowds, dangerous to be in crowds, not dangerous. And, of course, that's going to be used in a political sense. So that, of course, if there is a second wave that kills billions of people in the in the United States, it's because of some Trump rally in Tulsa or something. <laughs> not because of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands attending, you know, George Floyd funeral or something. No, that's magically protected by the magical virus gods or something. Uh, yeah, it's just craziness. It, it doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense. They want you to turn yourself into pretzel knots trying to make sense of their nonsense so that you uh, essentially go crazy. And uh, here's the thing. I keep going back to this and I'm sick of going back to it as well, but I can't avoid it. It is 1984. Mm. They, it, they, it wasn't, Big Brother was not content simply to control the population by force. No, 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 no. Big Brother wants you to love Big Brother. And you have to completely, ultimately, give your consciousness over to Big Brother. And that that is the state that we're going into. People will not be in, in into the new normal, into the Great Reset, until they have finally given over any semblance of 
trying to make sense or trying to think for themselves. No, whatever, whatever is going through the TV feed or the news feeds this week is what I have to believe. And once they've accomplished that, you know, it's game over NPCs all around and no, no actual humans left. Have you, speaking of NPCs, because it's all ultimately don't think, just obey. Uh, have you encountered any real world Karens yourself? I was actually at a store a while back and I was a normal distance from somebody and they just turned around and went, because I wasn't standing exactly on the circle. I got the, uh, can you keep your distance, please? That's what the circles are for. I'm like, oh man, but this is the, the terrible, terrible thing. You know, we can laugh at the Karens, but actually that kind of interaction would have been just unthinkable a few months ago. And that's what the lockdown has done. All right, it has turned yeah. neighbor against neighbor. It has turned citizen against citizen. It has it has turned human, I should say, rather than citizen as a term. It's turned humanity against itself. Have you experienced this firsthand? Thankfully, not. And I think that's partially because I am in Japan, and not just in Japan, but in sort of a rural area of Japan where it really. I mean, most people's lives have not been directly affected by this in any way, shape, or form. So there isn't a lot of that craziness going on generally. Plus, the Japanese population generally doesn't tend to act like that too much. Um, but I, I mean, I, I have experienced it at moments. I mean, uh, my gym now requires a mask to enter, and I'm not going to go work work out with a mask on. Sorry, I, that doesn't, that's just, that's ridiculous. So I'm not going to go there anymore. You don't have my business. Oh, well. Um, so there are changes, but not that kind of, the population hasn't been pitted against it, itself here in the same way. And there's a number of political factors behind that. But ultimately, I mean, whatever way the, the general political winds are blowing and the contact tracing apps and all of that, it's all going to roll out here at some point. Yeah, well, you know, it's enough to keep you awake at night, but I do think... Um, that there's a bottoming out of all of these things with respect. Okay, so the hysteria begins to die down. People begin to get... Okay, so what what will break first? Will humanity, and I mean, just people in general, just they'll be worn down either by the fear of virus after virus, lockdown after lock, lockdown, infringement upon rights, and so on, or will they be worn down at the fact that at a, at a human level, meaning has been destroyed. A life without meaning. I mean, part of the fourth industrial revolution would will make human beings largely, or a lot of the population, up to 80%, obsolete, right? Because machines are taking over everything. Everything's been done in the cloud, AI, and so forth. So you're talking about first coming for, for more and more blue-collar work, then infringing upon more white-collar work, and so on, all the way up the, up the, up the chain, Human beings need meaning. They need a degree of adversity. They need something to overcome, but they need something that gives them fulfillment in life. The humans, I, I still have faith. <laughs> it's, very, it's increasingly difficult, James, but I still have faith in the human soul, in the human spirit, that I, in, its, in its darkest periods, that human beings can go into that place and find something and, and ultimately start to go, you know what? There are worse fates than death. And the world they want to build for us is, is not a world that I could live in. So I'll fight this world that they want to create because I have to hold on to my faith in humanity and in, and in, in other things that are uh, in, transcendent, in transcendence, in spirituality, in love, in beauty, in truth. These things are immovable. Um, they may be difficult for people to find right now. And most people may have turned their backs on them or, or don't even know where to find them, but they are there and they're still in the human consciousness. That part of your brain that says something's not quite right, something's not quite right. 
and yet the propaganda kind of switches it off in people's minds or short circuits it so they think in a different way. At a certain point, do people just go, oh, screw this. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not doing the tracing app. I'm not standing on the circle. You know, do you see this as potentially the ultimate outcome of the emerging resistance? I think there are several things to respond to there. Um, one of which is there is a human spirit that always, always rises up against authoritarian tyranny of some sort eventually. As long as the human spirit uh, persists, I think humanity will one way or another power through this. It may take a long time. It may get very dark, but we'll power through. Having said that, of course, what if the human spirit does not persist? What if we do get genetically engineered or whatever it is uh, so that the human humanity as we have known it doesn't exist anymore? Used to be crazy sci-fi talk. Increasingly sounds more like, hey, you know what they're working on behind the scenes? So in times past, in centuries past, of course, there were horrible dark times where there were tyrants who ruled. There was always uh, on the other side, you know, we'll break through. Eventually this tyranny will fall. Well, one doesn't know with regards to this. And that sounds pretty grandiose, but I really, truly believe that. Um, having said that, uh, yes, I mean, you cannot, you really cannot eliminate every meaningful aspect of human existence from our, our relationships, our interactions, our transactions, our our communal events, our performing music together and going to concerts and, and going to sports and all of this stuff that just is the fabric of human civilization and society. You can't take that away and just expect people to go along with it. So um, that there will be a breaking point at some point. Now, having said all of that, uh, yeah, so obviously people will start resisting. And here's a little bright spot. I think they're never going to, t I mean, the re revolution will never be televised. It will never even appear on Twitter or any controlled platform like that, right? So uh, we don't really know the extent to which the populace is going along with this or secretly harboring their reservations about it at what stage people are. But one thing that I can tell, at least directly from my own metrics of having people interact with me and getting feedback about my work, uh, I have definitely reached more people in the past few months than I have reached in years and years. I mean, just so many people are discovering this work right now, which is, I guess, for the good. Kind of, where were you? But <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you're joining on board now. Uh, so there are a lot of people who are starting to put the brakes on and going, whoa, this is this is crazy. So that is a hopeful sign. Um as I as uh, unfortunately, as you say, the longer term picture, as we we go through this fourth industrial revolution, as we're going through the next couple of decades and the increasing automation and all of the technologies that are coming online, the human population becomes less and less important to the uh, the people at the very top of the power pyramid. And, you know, it sounds like a it sounds like a comic book villain sort of pronouncement. But honestly, Zbigniew Brzezinski went around about a decade ago. He did op-eds, he did speeches, there are recordings of him saying this. He said it used to be easier to control a million people than to kill a million people. Well, now it's getting easier to kill a million people than to control a million people. And you know when the people at the very top of the power pyramid start making that calculation and saying, you know, uh, there's a lot of people we don't need out there and they're really not happy about what's going on. What can we do about that? That's that's not good. And that's where we start looking at all the type of whatever, all the ginned up wars and everything you can imagine, bio warfare and everything else. 
uh, comes on the table. And that's where they start directing the population. Oh, it's the Chinese. I tell you, it's the Chinese that did this to you. Let's go get them. And whatever. One can imagine how that plays out. Um, but whatever it is, it's not looking good. Um, yeah, well, I'm not. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm just I just wanted to say I'm not uh, I'm not optimistic in the short term. <laughs> because it is going to get dark. I yeah. cannot sugarcoat it. It is going to get dark, and I don't think this is going to turn around on a dime. But as I say, as long as the human spirit persists, I think we will survive this. So that is the thing that we have to hold on to we, we just have to in every way that we can. By the board, Do not basically. That's pretty much it, one way or another. One way or the other, yeah. You know, on the social distancing front, when it's, you know, the signs going up and down the road, you have to go this way, and they're trying to give human beings instructions to follow as if they are automaton robots. And then you start to look at it and you go, yeah, I mean, maybe they are programming us for the, the fact that eventually we will lose the ability to think any other way without those arrows and circles there. So yes, I do worry about being assimilated by the Borg Collective in, in the future if that technology was ever yeah. to arise. But when you look at it, and, and I look and, at it... And those, go, read, uh, go read Bertrand Russell or go read uh, Aldous Huxley when they were talking about this decades and decades ago, over half a century ago, they were talking about the scientific technocracy dictatorship that's coming into view that will be possible in the future where they will be able to make the population unable to think for themselves by diet injection and injunction, as uh, Bertrand Russell wrote about, or Aldous Huxley talking about the ultimate revolution. They talked about this openly that, hey, guys, you know, they're kind of working on this technology right now, and it will be possible in the near future. Well, I think we've ar we're arriving at that doorstep at any rate, and the signs are on the wall that, yeah, there is going to be a section of the population that will literally not be able to think for themselves, and those will be the good citizens so I guess I don't want to be a good citizen in this paradigm, um, but that, of course, makes you a target. That's, that's the uncomfortable truth of this. Well, we might even end up in the same gulag together. Who knows, James? Who knows? But it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. And I want to, do, I want to alert people to what you mentioned, which is the, um, your work has been pivotal in this. In particular, you did a, I think it was a four-part series documentary, very high quality on Bill Gates, and I will include your channel links below. Please uh, encourage everybody to check that out. Absolutely fantastic. And for more on James' work, you can check out um, the CorbettReport.com and also his channel. You're on BitChute, I presume. If you are, I'll include that link below yes, and any yep. other social networks you want me to put on there. James, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Cheers.